Nick Smart, big upset win from the New York Giants this week, and then another upset win from the Washington football team. This means that there are two teams now leading the NFC East at five and seven, and the teams trailing them three and eight and one and three and nine respectively. Now, I would have started this by saying it is a lock that one of those two teams are going to win the division. But then if you look at the Eagles schedule, it's not a good time. They're against the Saints. They're against the Cardinals. Hard to say how good the Cardinals are right now. Uh, Saints obviously look pretty good. But then they go Cowboys-Washington. So if Washington is the team that's leading the division, they have a chance to get a game back just there. If you look at Washington's schedule, it's like, okay, could they lose a game between now and then? Well, they play the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Panthers before that Eagles game. So it's plausible, although I'd say unlikely, that they end up losing all of those games. But they could certainly lose two out of three going into that game. And then you think, okay, well, the Giants must have an easy road then, right? No. They go Cardinals, Browns, Ravens, but get the freebie in the Cowboys at the end. So my question to you, albeit a little long-winded this week, is who the hell is going to win this division? I, I think you have to say the Giants at this point. Just go chalk, go with the odds. I'm starting to wonder if maybe they have a better chance with Colt McCoy out there. Uh, they say Daniel Jones is going to be back this week, and he was close to playing last week. But I'm telling you, every time I see Colt McCoy in spot start duty or you know injury replacement in-game action, he's always looking good. He's always making plays. He's always getting wins, more importantly. I, I, as much as you know, I'm impressed with what Washington did against Pittsburgh, uh, I think I still have to go with the Giants. Their defense seems to be playing better each week. They're finally getting some out of the running game post Saquon Barkley with Wayne Gallman finally breaking out, looking like the back he was at Clemson. And suddenly Alfred Morris is back from the dead. Uh, two touchdowns here last week. Uh, yeah, give me the Giants in that question. Yeah, also worth noting the Giants hold the tiebreaker over Washington, having beaten them twice. So... Uh, that's why they are listed as first right now. Both teams on win streaks, the Giants four games, Washington three. All right, let's take a look at the schedule this week. I don't know how you felt when looking at this schedule, but my feeling was definitely that um, there are some games I'm really looking forward to watching. There's some that I find a little interesting, like the aforementioned uh, New Orleans-Philadelphia game. Um, and then there's some that are just absolute stinkers. Um, so we'll go through them here. We've got the Rams hosting the New England Patriots tomorrow, Thursday night. Uh, you know, unless it gets delayed for reasons. Um, listen, the Patriots have looked pretty good, I guess, their last two games. Um, I don't think beating up on the Chargers count for anything because it looks like that team has just absolutely quit at this point. Uh, with that said, I mean, you see a lot out of the Rams – I like the Rams to win this game, but I got New England at plus five and a half because I don't, I don't expect the style of Belichick to, to lend to a blowout or, or a big differential here, especially given the things that you're seeing out of that New England secondary, which looks you know, really good between Gilmore and the other kid whose name I don't remember, but has what picks in seven straight games. Um, JC Jackson, I think. Yeah. Thank you. So currently, currently second in the league with, uh, for picks. Yeah. So get, give me the Rams in this one, but like I, I definitely expect it to be close. So I don't think we should be shocked if the Patriots end up pulling something off. What do you think? I'm going with the Rams. The Rams are my Buffalo Bills of the NFC this year. I'm totally on the bandwagon. Say it every week. Uh, yeah, I mean, what's the line? Minus five. 
that might be a bit problematic. Maybe they only win by field goal. I think I'm more comfortable with them on the money line. Yeah, it really feels like a three or four point game to me. Yeah, yeah. Either way, and, in either direction, really. Yeah, and I mean, I still have some lingering concerns from that uh, last second loss to the 49ers a couple weeks ago. So, and I mean, <laughs> the Patriots, I mean, what can you say? Uh, anybody who's picking them right week to week, uh, I'd like to uh, get them involved in my financial affairs going forward because it seems like they've got a crystal ball and they can tell the future. I, I, I struggle to find more Jekyll and Hyde teams than this Patriots team. Um, yeah, give me the Rams on the money line here. Yeah, it's kind of folks you want to take to the horse track with you, you know? Um, all right, give me Tennessee at Jacksonville. You know what? Jacksonville's 1-12 and 12 now. Um, Tennessee is firmly in the playoff hunt. And I've heard some questions coming out of Jacksonville about whether it's going to be Glennon or Minshew. I don't necessarily know that it matters. I think they're better with Glenn, and I, but I don't think they're good enough to beat Tennessee in either regard. Uh, give me Tennessee here as in a big bounce back spot. Yeah, I agree that with Glenn under center, they've looked better. They've looked more competitive. I'm not sure it's going to matter what quarterbacks under center against this Titans team. Um, yeah. I was it minus seven and a half. I think the Titans cover that. I think, uh, I think the Jaguars have played some close games recently and they're due back to get blown out here. I, I think uh, the Titans win big. And yeah, I mean, uh, one storyline from the running back position uh, is good of a season and is accustomed to it as we are with Derrick Henry. Uh, James Robinson, quietly, I, I believe third in rushing as, as we go to air here. Yeah, third place uh, above some pretty big names. Uh, closing in on a thousand yards. What a rookie campaign for a guy nobody had heard of uh, really until fantasy drafts were starting to get going. Nevertheless, Titans here, but I do want to see them play better. I think Ryan Tannehill's got to get get going again. Give me the Titans. Yeah, I. If for anyone that didn't watch that game against Cleveland and you saw a six point total, that was not what that like. Tennessee got blown out in that game. Um and kind of clawed their way back within two scores and then got a fumble recovery inside two minutes. Like, sure, if they hit an onside kick, they would have been there, but it's that game wasn't close. To, to whatever extent it looked close, it was a blowout. Yeah. Um, I will say on the line, on the seven and a half, uh, this game and actually the next game as well, feel like games to me where the bookmakers are trying to trick you where they're like seven and a half. Jacksonville's been playing close games. It's in division. Jacksonville's at home. Don't you want that hook? You want the hook. Get the hook. Take the full seven and a half. And it's like, they're just not the right side there, you know? Um, and moving on to this next game, Minnesota at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay favored by six and a half here. I think it's kind of the same thing where they're like, oh, well, they're going to win by a touchdown, right? You know Tampa Bay's going to win by a touchdown. Tom Brady off a bye. Oh, come on. They're going to sort their shit out. They'll win it by a touchdown. Remember how bad Minnesota looked? Ah, easy touchdown here. No way. Give me the six and a half points. I think Tampa Bay can definitely win this game, but I think you know the times that they win, um, a big chunk of those are only by three, four, five points. Uh, especially with the way Minnesota's playing right now. Uh, offense is looking really good. I don't know that Tampa Bay, you know, as much as we're talking about the Tampa offense, their defense hasn't stopped anyone. Um, I'm not saying they're bad, but like, it, you know, they're not keeping it close enough. So 
I'm taking Tampa here. I think they win the game. I think it's going to be closer than people think, though. What do you got? This is one I've been going back and forth on. My gut kind of wants to say the Vikings. I like the way they've looked of late. I obviously love the way they're running the ball, and I can't get enough of Justin Jefferson. And it seems to me that Kirk Cousins is quietly putting together some decent football. He still throws more picks than I'd like, but he's getting the job done. I mean, you have to think Tampa's due for somewhat of a bounce back. The six and a half seems a bit big for me, though. I think I like Tampa on the money line, but I think I like the Vikings to cover. I think I I would agree with you with the bounce back if it wasn't for the fact that we've got a couple things going on there. One, the Tom Brady-Bruce Arians marriage doesn't seem to make a lot of sense the more time is going on. And father time is undefeated. Like, yeah, we give Tom Brady an extra week off, but how, how much does that do for a 43-year-old man playing football? He's, he's still not completing deep balls. Yeah. Um, the best counter argument I can think to that, because we always try to tell you why we might be wrong as well, uh, Tom Brady has the worst time in the world when people are able to rush him. He just had to face Chris Jones, just had to face like that New Orleans front seven. That's a hard time uh, to face the Rams front seven. That's a bad time. Um, I do not expect that the Minnesota, Minnesota front four is going to be able to put the same kind of pressure he's been getting recently. Uh, and he might just eat that up and win by 21. Just from a fantasy perspective of the running back position, Dalvin Cook currently number two in rushing. And everybody's favorite, Ronald Rojo Jones II, coming in at fourth in rushing. Um, Between James Robinson at third and Ronald Jones at fourth on the rushing list, as things currently stand, I think that would surprise a lot of casual fans. Well, especially people drafting Leonard Fournette going into the season, right? (laughs) Everybody thought he was going to be the bell cow by now, and he is clearly not. And even the role they're trying to give him as a pass catcher, he's not succeeding there either. Um, Kansas City at Miami. This game is interesting, I would say, uh, for a few reasons. It, it is a bit of what we talked about a Kansas City-Pittsburgh matchup looking like of the unstoppable force and immovable object. As I've mentioned previously, the rules are not what they were in the two early 2000s where the unmovable object uh, had a chance in the fight. So I expect Kansas City to win this game. Uh, I don't know about covering the seven. It was up at seven and a half for a bit. I didn't catch that. If it goes back there, I'm going to take a swing at it because I think Miami might be able to keep it close. I'll tell you, I have some concerns around uh, Kansas City's ability to stop the run. Even Denver really gashed them a few times there. And uh, Melvin Gordon's definitely lost a step, so him being able to do that is a little concerning. If you have like a, a you know, 2-0-plus running back situation where you can run a bunch of options and stuff, that makes it uh, even a bigger concern. So... I got Kansas City here. I like the seven and a half. If it gets there at seven, it's a no play. And at six and a half, it's probably Kansas City. Uh, What do you think? My initial thought is I'm shocked this line is so low. Uh, I think there's real, real value there in that 
Kansas City minus seven. I think they covered no, that easily. Number two defense, though, right? Like, no, nah, I get it. I get it. But I, nobody, no defense. Uh, you can put the 2000 Ravens out there. You can put the 02 Bucks out there. Uh, I'm not sure any defense at this point is going to be able to ha- hang with these uh, Kansas City weapons. As good as the Broncos D did look against Kansas City, um, yeah, I don't think the Dolphins are going to be able to get the job done. I think Kansas City wins by at least two possessions, at least 10 points. I think that minus seven is uh, easy money. Can I just throw one minor point out here that might be influencing the line? Chiefs haven't covered since their game against the Jets on November 1st. Um, They've been winning, but they didn't cover against the Panthers, who they beat by two. They didn't cover against the Raiders. They were double-digit favorites there and and squeaked one out. Um, They were three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bucs, but only won by three. And that Broncos game last week that they won by eight, they were 14-point favorites. So uh, that that might be part of why the line's shorter. These guys, for all the firepower that we think they have, they haven't blown anybody out since the Jets, and those are the Jets. Yeah, they seem to be pretty happy with um, getting up big and then kind of taking the foot off the gas. Just take the air out of the ball. and Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned that Tampa game. I, I still can't go over the fact that they didn't cover in that game. I mean, they were up, what, double digits. 17, very, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, very late in that game. Um, uh, that was the backdoor cover of all covers by the Bucks. there. You could argue they got saved. Like, if that roughing the passer call isn't thrown out there on a play that honestly I've seen half a dozen times since then not called where somebody hits him in the shoulder and the hand kind of grazes the side of the head on the way. Um, you know, the, the bucks get the ball back with way more time and, and potentially are able to stop them. Now I don't like ifs and buts, right. But, um, that strategy is leaving them vulnerable at times. Cause if you end up in a one score game late, eventually you might not come through. Yeah. They're playing with fire. Absolutely. But in this case, I, I just, I, I don't see the dolphins keeping the game close. I just don't. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I can think of here, and, and I don't know that it makes a lot of sense given all the things is this a look-ahead spot to facing the Saints next week? I don't think it is because I think Miami has proven legit enough that people take them seriously. Um, but who knows, just in case. Denver at Carolina. This game stinks. <laughs> you know, I don't know how else to say this. I'm like, yeah. not excited for it. Listen, Denver had a chance to beat the Kansas city chiefs last week and they went ahead and punted the ball with about six minutes left in the fourth. If I remember correctly, I know I texted you when it happened. Didn't make much sense. And it made no sense. So uh, I'll I'll tell you a little story. I had a wager. I, I had a $75 wager on Denver to win that game. It was 75 to pay out 500 or something like that. And at various points through the game, I was getting offered cash outs of like 120, 125, 150 at one point. And I was like, nah, they could still win. I know it's not value. Anytime you cash out, you're getting the worst side of it usually, right? And we got, so I, I just kept saying no. I was like, no, I'm not cashing out. I'm, I'm going to ride this through. Even when they were trailing down three points, there was a big 
part in that second half where it didn't look like they were going to win, but it was close enough that I was sticking with it. And then six minutes left in the fourth and they punt. And I'm like, oh, well, you'll give me 85 now? You'll like, I'll still up 10 bucks? Okay, let, get, let me out of this bet because I know they lost the game by kicking the ball there. Um, the only way that they win that game is to, uh, you know, some of those old coaches like to say, matriculate the ball down the field, drain those six minutes off the clock, either kick a field goal or score a touchdown to win. And, and basically leave KC no time. By punting the ball there, the game's over. There's no way Kansas City's going to let you get the ball back uh, where you need less than a touchdown. So I was really misguided. I, Fangio continues to baffle me in the way that he manages these games. Um, it is a very 1990s approach. Um, and you add that into a team that doesn't have that much talent. And you've got a problem. I think you kind of got the flip side with Carolina. I don't think the team has a ton of talent, but they've got Teddy Bridgewater uh, and they've got a coach that I actually think is very good. So give me Carolina here. I don't, I, I think after last week, Denver's back is broken and I'd be surprised if they show up at all, especially since they're on the road. Uh, I've got the Panthers. What do you have in this game? So I'm looking for the line for this game. And then as I'm not finding it, I'm, remembering that uh it seems that every day this week the panthers have had uh covid positive uh so that must be the explanation there i would be curious to see what what the line for that would have been i mean i'm taking the panthers but i'm not comfortable doing it i was impressed with how denver battled against kansas city i have concerns with the pieces the Panthers are missing. doesn't sound like McCaffrey's battling shoulder and I think now a new thigh issue. I think they're insane if they bring McCaffrey back out this year. Yeah, I just think there's no need for it. Yeah. Um, Funnily enough, playing against the team where his father made his chops, the Denver Broncos, of course. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm probably going to end up regretting not taking the Broncos because every fiber in my body tells me to do it. But the Panthers seem to have proven me wrong enough this year that I don't want to get burned again. Give me Carolina, but they're going to need a big day out of Mike Davis. They're going to need Robbie Anderson to make some plays. And I, I still have major concerns of, about that defense outside of Brian Burns. Having said all that, give me the Panthers. Yeah, defense needs a lot more talent. And I expect we're going to see that in this draft uh, yep. that they're coming into here. Uh, Houston at Chicago. Houston played tough against Indy, but you know, as teams with bad coaches tend to do, they did not get it done. Given that they still have a bad coach, I know Chicago's is also bad, but I, I think we cannot understate uh, how how bad a head coach Romeo Cornell is. I am picking Chicago at home in weather. Uh, what do you got here? I'm taking the Texans. Uh, I liked how they looked against the Colts. Uh, short of a bad snap slash, you know, bobbled, fumbled ball by uh, Deshaun Watson on the goal line there at the end, they were in a position to maybe steal that game late. On the flip side, I mean, what's to be said about the Bears? Uh, I know David Montgomery has looked better recently. I know they had some really success all across the run game in the last game. Cordero Patterson had a day. I love Alan Robinson, even though he's battling uh, some injury issues right now, but tough guy playing through it. 
I just I like the Texans here. I, I think Deshaun's going to make some plays. Brandon Cooks seems to be making some plays. I have concerns about their whittling away depth chart at the wide receiver position between injuries and suspensions, but I think there's enough there. David Johnson is back, and he looked all right. Give me the Texans here. I think Watson makes some plays against the team that should have drafted Just a small thing on Will Fuller's suspension. I know it wasn't a complete mea culpa, but good for that guy for at least taking responsibility. You know, he's like, I hired this healthcare professional. He said it wasn't this, but he was wrong, and it's my responsibility to have better people around me. And I was like, you know what, man? Great. Like, if that's if that's what actually happened, that's fine. I prefer those kind of explanations to like fucking Ryan Braun going after the sample guy and trying to get some fucking poor schmuck fired. You know, mm, yeah. um, you did the thing. Admit you did the thing. If you if you sincerely believe like that it was poor judgment on your part somewhere trusting a person that let you down, then say that fine. Um, that like, I think that's fair. It's just so many athletes used to pretend like this never happened. I never had this in my body. No way. And it, 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 I like where we're at now. I, I think it is a better alternative. It's interesting to me that a player like Brian Cushing, who had multiple PED violations and suspensions throughout his career is this is now the strength and conditioning coach in Houston and Will Fuller, Bradley Roby, and A.J. Bouye in Denver all trace back to uh, his tutelage. Uh, I don't think there's a coincidence there. Mm, very fair. Um, we talked about the Vikings earlier in that Bucks game. I, I don't mean to go back to that, but I was just – we're coming into talking about Arizona at the Giants – and I was going to say Arizona needs this game like blood because they're tied with the Vikings at six and six. But you know, that's a part we didn't talk about in that Bucks game. Like the Vikings are six and six, the Bucks are seven and six. If the Vikings win that game, they have the tie break with the Bucks, and which could be relevant for getting into the playoffs. So uh, just, just another piece of the puzzle there. Okay. Arizona at the giants. I don't know. I'm picking Arizona here. I'll get that on the table first, but I don't know how well this team's going to travel into Northeastern weather in December. Um, We'll see how that goes. With that said, I think everybody's way too high on the Giants and way too low on Arizona here. I think one is overperformed and the other is kind of underperformed over the last few weeks. I maintain that Cliff Kingsbury is not a good coach. His game management's atrocious. I, I still don't think the Giants have enough on the defensive side of the ball. They've shown some things, but they haven't shown enough to be able to stop an Arizona team whose real downside seems to be on the defensive side of the ball. That on the offensive side, they're like, we're going to run it up and down the field every goddamn possession. Um, and, and really the only question is if they can get enough stops to stay in the game. Against the Rams, they weren't able to, but I don't think the Giants have the kind of offense that are going to give them enough trouble that they won't be able to outscore it. So uh, give me Arizona here, but I am very concerned about weather. What do you got? Taking Arizona. I see that it's minus two. I think they cover that. Um, And it strikes me that I feel like that's a very rare number and might even be the first time I've seen it. It was two and a half Uh, and went down. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think Arizona covers that relatively easy. I think they're the better football team. Part of me wants to say the Giants would have a better chance with Colt McCoy out there. Um, but, you know, the devil on my shoulder does remind me that 
at least with Daniel Jones, you do have that rushing uh, aspect of the offense, something uh, Colt McCoy doesn't give you. Yeah, I mean, it does sound like Jones is going to be the one out there. I'm not sure it matters. I, I think Arizona wins. I don't think they're as good as a football team as we all thought they were earlier in the year, but I think they're good enough to get the job done here. So, yeah, give me that minus two. I think they win by at least a field goal. I'm curious if you agree with me that the the flaw is really on the defensive side of the ball. I think like their main flaws are defensive and uh, like head coach, like their macro games, terrible. And, and Kingsbury is interesting that way. Cause it's like, yeah, you're, I, I don't want to call him an offensive genius, but he's definitely, it, it's a good fit with Kyler, you know, um, the way that they're running that offense. But then, all the other stuff, it's like just a, a complete ignorance to what's happening in the rest of the world is 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 concerning. Um, the only other thing I'd say is like, enough Isabella. We don't need to see that guy. Like every time I see them throw the ball deep to Isabella, he just drops it. So like, what's the friggin' point, guys? Is it just to open up the rest of the field? I'd, like, are you hoping for that one in eight times that he actually holds onto the goddamn ball? Um, yeah, I think they got to fall out of love with that guy. Uh, Nick Smart, are you ready for the Andy Dalton revenge game? I am, yeah. It'd be great. Uh, Once again, last night, I made money in a fashion that continues to feel like stealing. Uh, Andy Dalton in prime time, betting against him is basically like giving yourself a paycheck. Uh, With that said, this is a 1 p.m. game against a bad team without a quarterback. Uh, Give me Dallas at Cincinnati with Andy Dalton uh, getting retribution. What say you? Not only without their star quarterback, but without their starting slash, uh, some people think, star running back in Joe Mixon. Now, there's just too many vital pieces missing on the Bengals' offense, and we get news today that um, recent first-round pick Jonah Williams finishing his second career season in a row on IR. Um Boy, that's looking like a failed pick there. Uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, the Bengals have too many problems. Bad O-line, missing all those stars on offense. Issues on the defense, um, really, at all levels. Yeah, I mean, I'm not high on the Cowboys. I mean, boy, did they look bad last night. But I think, uh, I think they've got enough to get the job done here. I think they got to go back to... Uh, feeding C.D. Lamb a little more. I, I still can't get over what's happened to Michael Gallup this year. I mean, he might as well be on a milk carton, for God's sakes. But yeah, I, I think the Cowboys have enough here. Uh, I'm still cra- craving more Tony Pollard because I'll tell you, in that goal line series late for the Cowboys where they just handed it off to Zeke three straight times, uh, he didn't look good. He, ha- he hasn't looked good against what's clearly nowhere near the O-line of past. But yeah, Cowboys win here. And what's the line? It can't be, yeah, three and a half. Ah, sure. I think the Cowboys win by a touchdown. Give me the three and a half. Moving into the four o'clock games. Uh, thank you, NFL, by the way. We've got six early games, six late games. Just like, it, it should be like that every week, in my opinion. But uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take what I can get. Uh, sorry, seven early games. So, Indy at Las Vegas. I'm taking the Colts here. I think the Colts have more talent uh, on the defensive side of the ball. 
and they should be able to slow Las Vegas down enough to, to keep up. With that said, man, this is the classic spot where the second this game is over, you're like, oh, yeah, of course Las Vegas would, you know, kind of have a bounce back after a down week at the Jets and, you know, Indy. Maybe we've been overvaluing them and their quarterback's old and they're on the road. And, I, you know, I maintain road teams in Vegas. I think we cannot underestimate the trouble they can be getting into in the night before the game. Um, yeah, I've, I've got the Colts here. I'm not going to be even a little surprised if, in, if uh, Vegas ends up winning this game, though. What do you got? I don't have much good to say about the Raiders of late. And no Josh Jacobs again this week. I have concerns about that. I'll tell you, though, if the Raiders want a chance of winning this game, they got to stick with the recent Darren Waller script. Uh, anytime that guy gets double-digit targets, double-digit receptions, it seems to me that good things happen for the Raiders. Uh, he's one of the bigger mismatches league-wide, one of the better stories league-wide. But I'm taking the Colts here, and I'm surprised the number is as low as three. I think they cover that. Yeah, I mean, what's to be said about the Raiders? I, I just I don't think they're I, – I don't even want to call them pretenders anymore because uh, I think they got exposed enough by the Falcons that that we know they're not going to beat anyone of any significance. And even though I'm not as high as, on the, as, high on the Colts as most people – I think the Colts are a good enough football team to win this game by more than three. Yeah, give me the Colts here. So Las Vegas is more or less the direct reason that the New York Jets fired their defensive coordinator this week. Um, what did they say? First time since 2006, a zero blitz has been called in a Hail Mary situation. Hmm. And and it's not even so much that that I had a problem with. It was that we had a rookie corner on the outside who ran a slow 40 time, and he was on Henry Ruggs III, who, as everybody knows, if there's one attribute Ruggs brings and has a plus ability, and it's straight line speed. And given that situation, I, I mean, it was just beyond inexcusable. So inexcusable to the point that you have to wonder if there are ulterior motives at play there. So, uh, yeah, because, you know, we're not on ESPN, we actually get to talk about this shit sometimes. And, like, Greg Williams was a sacrificial lamb here, and I'm sure he got paid still. I, you know, I'm not, I, I, I doubt that anything that negative really happened. But this is all to say that is it not plausible that Greg Williams understood what the objective of the Jets season was now that everything that has been happening in that organization points to Trevor Lawrence and that no matter what happened in that game, they did not want to be tied with Jacksonville and have to have a coin flipper or a tiebreaker for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And so he did everything in his power to ensure that they were still on track to get the number one pick. Did Greg Williams get fired for doing what he thought was expected of him by the organization. I think it had to do more with sabotaging Adam Gase. From all that I can read of the tea leaves, 
Greg Williams didn't like Adam Gase. Adam Gase didn't like Greg Williams. It was a forced marriage from the get-go. Yeah, and the fact that it made it this far is wild. Yeah. They were sniping at each other in week three, if I remember right, you know? Exactly right. And... And again, this is very conspiratorial, but I think at the end of the day, I think two things are correct. I think Greg Williams, given his history of bringing out all-out blitzes in those kind of situations, I think part of him thought it was the best football move to make. But I think part of him also felt that, hey, if it doesn't work out, it's going to be 0-16 that's associated with Adam Gase and not so much Greg Williams. I, I think it had some to... I think there's more at play between that Williams-Gase relationship that might come out as the years go on when we look back on this season. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with Adam Gase, and he had his headset on, and he heard Greg Williams make that call, and he didn't call it... You know, he let it happen. He Now, his excuse was that he was distracted. My question is, distracted by what? By what? Yeah, yeah. You're the head coach of an NFL team. You're making millions upon millions of dollars to not be distracted in that situation. So what else was going on? Were you watching the scoreboard of the Jags Vikings game? Were you, you know, swiping right on Tinder? What was going on there? I'd love, I would have loved a follow-up question of, okay, if you were distracted, well, naturally, what were you distracted doing? So the buck stops with the head coach. I thought Gay should have been fired. I really, I mean, they should have just clean house. That was the opportunity, even though I think the plan was to to just wait to black money to clean house. I think that was the opportunity that the Johnson and Johnson family should have taken to clean house in season. So this is this is why I think that it's possible Greg Williams did intentionally because the you know those Johnson kids, pretty old to be calling them kids, but whatever. Uh, Deciding to keep Gase this long makes it abundantly clear what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, the alternative theory. Yeah. And, oh, and like you said, he could have then approached them at the end of the year, lobbying for his job, saying, "Hey, I was a company man. Look what look what I look what we did." And he could point to situations where, look, here I I would have normally done this, but I had this long term and goal, which I think was your term and. So I did it to appease you, you know, like it's a very desperate move from what would have to be a very desperate man. Well, it's like the, it's like the mob thing or the Trump thing even, right? Is that like, they never tell you explicitly, Hey, go do this illegal thing. You just know that they'll be pleased if you go do that illegal thing and they make it know they're pleased afterwards. Right. And like, so the feedback loop around Adam Gase has been, you're losing and we're committed to you for the year. To, to continue doing that, um, which, which is uh, shocking. The other take that I saw online, I think it was uh, Pro Football Talk, I, I, Mike Florio. I don't know. Anyways, it's one of those things. Um, was basically that like the personality of Greg Williams that like, you, you know, they didn't put it this way, but if I were to, to paraphrase, I'd say Greg Williams is a real fucking asshole. Yeah, a lot of hubris at play there. A lot of ego. So it's entirely possible that at the end of the game, he's like, I'll fucking show, I'm going to hit your quarterback one more fucking time. We're going to fucking hit, get at him here, you know? Um, 
going down with the ship. Yeah. So it like that's a plausible explanation. I don't think, uh, but I'll tell you, I don't think it's the most likely one. I still think it was an intentional tank that he knew exactly what he was doing there. And whether it was to get back at Gase or because he sees in the organization that they're, you know, pleased with losing, um, can't say. But that was absolutely intentional, giving up that touchdown in my mind. I mean, yeah, it, the more you delve into it, it almost had to have been because, like I said, it, it wasn't the zero blitz call. It was having that corner out on an island who you knew was overmatched, who you knew physically and mentally, right? I know they were both rookies, but, man, just... Uh, no, but man, one's I, an that, undrafted rookie and one exactly. was drafted 11th overall. Like. Exactly, exactly. And and the guy that was undrafted ran a slow 40 for his position, and he's on a speedster, a specialist guy, right? I just... That had to have been intentional. I mean, and you just, can't possibly be that bad a coach. I, I've also seen some people, like, slamming this uh, secondary player. And, listen, biting on an out and up there actually isn't insane. Okay, there were seven seconds left on the clock. Tons of teams, tons run 10, 12-yard outs and try to get themselves a little closer in five seconds to get a better Hail Mary shot. Tons. Happens all the time. So uh, him biting a bit on that, especially when he's a fucking undrafted rookie, like, yeah, that's that's a thing that's going to happen. That doesn't mean he's a totally shit player. He might even have a future. Who knows? I don't want to bury the guy. Um, but folks laying it at his feet instead of Greg Williams is absolutely insane to me. Oh yeah, nowhere near the player's fault. Elite corners bite on double moves all the time. So I mean, yeah. it's not. There's no shame in that. At the end of the day, the receiver knows where he's going. The receiver knows the play. The DB is not only expected to run backwards as yeah. fast as that receiver running forwards, but he doesn't know the play. He doesn't know where the receiver's going. I mean, it, what we ask of starting NFL corners is really. I mean, phenomenal. Yeah. Athletically. I, I mean, just the running backwards as fast as a, you know, Olympic grade sprinter can run forwards is laughable to ask. Well, and then you can't impede contact. You can't make contact or impede yep. movement after five yards. Mm -hmm. You get pushed off on all the time and it doesn't get fucking called. Mm -hmm. It's pass interference if you fucking nudge a guy a tiny bit. Like, um, yeah, I, I like. I just wouldn't want to play defense. Not even from a physical standpoint. Like, if I were a you know more athletic person than I am now, uh, but like a young man in high school, uh, and and they were like, "Hey, Charles, come play the football team. You can play any position you want." I, I just twenty years ago, I would have defaulted to, "I want to play defense. I want to go out there. I want to fucking hit somebody. I think that's going to be a lot of fun." Um, I, like, let's fucking do it, you know? Um, if they asked me now, I'd be like, ah, yeah, I guess I could, like, be a, be a running back or a fullback or something, maybe. Like, fullback would probably be where I'd end up at this point, right? Like, I would never want to play defense. It's that, That's like fucking trying to run a marathon in steel-toed boots. I, don't, I, I have no interest um, the, the way the game is now. And I really hope they do something they have to do something um 
to give the defense a shot because we're talking about 20 years of rule changes now uh, that, that have made life harder for defense. Sorry, I went on my defense rant, which wasn't really related to that conversation. No, I mean, I think the worst, the most controversial call left in the sport is what we already talked about. It's these ticky-tack uh, flags that are going to edge rushers who just, you know, by pure momentum happen to graze the quarterback's helmet or the wrong, God forbid, part of his body. Yeah, it's... Whew, those those are so tough. I mean, there was one in the Steelers game last week. You know, the, the play that injured Drew Brees should not have been a penalty. Like, at, at some point, I want to see the league run like a sport and not like a business. And I know it's never going to happen. But watching them be like, well, we got to protect the quarterback, got to keep our star players out there. It's like, to what extent? We're at the point now where guys tackle someone and as part of their arms coming out, if they hit you on the shoulder, but their hand hits the side of your helmet, not a forceful blow to the head, but a like grazing shot to the side of the helmet as part of coming down on your shoulders, that's a 15-yard penalty. That's insane. That's insane. I, and I'll tell you what, I, have, I actually have time for the stuff that doesn't look that bad, um, but is a serious injury risk, right? Like I saw, I think it was Bosa got flagged last week for rolling into the, the bottom of a guy's shin or whatever. Um, basically the Brady rule, right? Like the hit that took Brady out, they put it in as roughing the passer the, the year after. Bernard um, Pollard of the Chiefs. Right. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I don't mind that rule. I think that's actually fair, right? If you're, if you're on the ground and you're just rolling into a quarterback's shin, it's like, yeah, you have the potential of like really fucking up a guy's knee. And yeah, that shouldn't be allowed for any position anywhere on the field. Yeah. That's how guys shred knees and shred Achilles. Yeah. So I like, I, I, I'm not saying, you, you know, we, we should just do nothing for the quarterbacks. No, that's like a, that horse collar tackles, right? I, I was really pleased when they put that rule in because it was like, it became a trend real quickly, right? Somebody horse collar tackled, was it T.O.? It was Roy Williams, the safety, not the receiver, the safety for the Cowboys. And yeah, he was tackling T.O. It was the year that T.O. came back and played in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and they were like, oh, but Roy Williams made that tackle. And the part we don't talk about is that after he made that tackle, defenders started doing it all over, right? It was like a fucking constant in the NFL at that point that they were taking guys down that way. Um, and the league was like, oh, no, we're not going to like just have a bunch of guys get injured. That's, that's insane. It's dangerous. But this shit where you're like, well, you can't put your weight on top of the quarterback. I'm like, no, that's a tackle, sir. This is still tackle football. And, and honestly, I re- like, it's – People think I'm saying this in jest, and I, I'm really not at this point. I would rather, if we're going to call it like this, we're grazing the side of a guy's head or tackling and landing on top of the guy, which is also known as a fucking tackle, right? If you're going to call that, I would rather just don't put two flags or three flags, however many flags it takes on the fucking quarterback, and make it that you just have to get the flag and and play flag football with quarterbacks and everybody else. It's just a normal game still. Cause if, if we're going to treat it like that, then go the whole fucking way and don't do this nonsense where we're just going to start throwing 15 yard penalties all like all the fucking time for no reason. Uh, 
it's out of control. And I honestly, like I did take a break. I did not watch the early games this week. I didn't watch most of the late games. Um, I, I came in for the night game, but like I did put, I, I put a fair bit of time in the afternoon games actually, but like I, I honestly need to take a break for like almost a full week. Cause it was out of control how bad some of those calls were going. It, it's really ruining the game. I just want to say quickly, one issue I have is defensive ends, interior defensive linemen and outside linebackers are, are, can be effective two ways when they pass when they rush the passer. One is obvious, they get to the passer, they make contact, or they get the sack. The other one is just getting their hands up and taking away passing lanes and vision. And God forbid, if you saw Montez sweat the other night against the Steelers, uh, blocking balls, defect, defect, deflecting passes can make a huge, huge impact on a game. And if we're going to tell these pass rushers that you can't rush the passer with your arms up anymore, well, I mean, half, three quarters of their effectiveness because you don't get to the quarterback every time you rush the passer. That's just not a reality. Even Aaron Donald doesn't get to the quarterback all the time. If we're going to say you can't do that, then three quarters of their effectiveness is essentially down the toilet. It just changes the game so much. Uh, Guys have to be able to rush with their arms up. And it's pretty hard if you're rushing a quarterback with your arms up to not then touch the quarterback with your arms up. So I have issues regarding that, but it's probably not going to change anytime soon. So we might as well get used to it. And as far as the boycott goes, I mean, it's not, it wasn't a boycott. I just needed to take a break. No, I I get it. I get it. I just, I guess the way I look at it is, like it's not going to change, and I mean I'm not going to be more entertained by not watching it. So yeah. for for me, it was such a point of frustration, right? That it 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 irritated me and wound me up, and like what used to be an enjoyable Sunday afternoon where I watched spectacular athletic things, and you know, like I I had a group of friends that came over a lot <laughs> while I lived in Moncton there. And um, when, when they first started coming over on Sundays, like the first year that they, they came over, they were like, uh, I was like, you guys can come, but like, I'm watching football the whole time you're here. Like if you want to come over and you're like, Hey, put this show on or movie on, like that's not going to happen. I'm watching football. So you're welcome to come, but that's what's happening. And these were, uh, you know, French folks who'd never really watched football. And, and, Every time they came over, there was always something that they were like, oh my God, look at that. And I was like, yeah, that's the NFL, right? Every Sunday you watch, you're going to see somebody do something. Shit, even in that Denver KC game last week, that catch by the Denver wide receiver who like, I couldn't even tell you his fucking name right now. Um, but that, that end zone catch, the, the ball by Locke and the catch by him was unbelievable. Like, Tim Patrick. Tim yeah, Patrick, Tim Patrick. Yeah. Great catch. Like that's, that's so cool to watch. Right. Yep. Um, and I love that. And I get into that stuff. I really do. And I, I love the sport. And then a competitive game, you see a guy glance the side of someone's helmet or tackle him like, you know, a tackle. And what was going to be a fourth down and punt is now a new set of downs and you're in field goal range. It just, it frustrated me too much. And there was a run of like 
just so I, I, you know, I watched like seven games in a row where something like that happened. And I was just like, I got to, I just not, cause it's, it get, I get upset watching it. Um, and I'll, I'll say this cause you know, I did mention this earlier. I feel like I have seen some of those hits in this last week and they have not been called. So I don't know if the league came down and said like, Hey, we're getting a little, this is getting a little ticky tack here, guys. Um, and maybe not, but like they, they, they got to sort it out. I, I, I'm not, I'm not banning. I'm not boycotting. I'm going to watch football till I die. Who am I kidding? Right. But I might have to take a break every now and then where this ticky tack shit just gets out of control. Cause I, I grew up with a different game. Thing I fell in love with was different than this. Doesn't mean I'm getting a divorce, but I might need a vacation every now and then. Your jets are visiting the Seahawks. Is there any chance they win this game? No, no, they don't win this game. But the Seahawks, you know, need to play better. That's really all there is to it. I'll tell you what, Russell Wilson needs to play better. Yeah, I mean, the interceptions are starting to crop up, absolutely. Uh, They might need to get back to more traditional Seahawks football where uh, the run game scripts are a little heavier. Um, But, I mean, they've had issues keeping guys healthy so it's it's hard i just know i've been disappointed i i thought the seahawks were gonna finish a lot stronger than they've looked of late now obviously this is as good a spot to get back on track as ever that 13 and a half seems like a big number though um yeah i mean i gotta think the seahawks can cover it but man it's not the style of the seahawks though right like i i worry about that number because it's not the style of the seahawks to win by 20 and um then you just have like the general issues that the seahawks are having right but it's the thing is like nobody wants to bet on the jets and i think vegas knows that so they're like we like we got to put up a number here to get any any money on that side at all uh, I actually have a place I can look that up. I agree. Um, I mean, as far as the Jets go, there's really not much good to be said. Um, that Raiders game was a real mix of emotions for me because I don't actively like rooting for my team to lose, but I kind of had to there. I mean, with the way the Jags were playing the Vikings, kind of had to be happy about that rugs touchdown in in a very sick way that I don't like admitting. Uh, It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, I mean, we've come this far. And if we don't get Trevor Lawrence, the whole thing is for naught. Now, looking down the road, I mean, I think the chances of Trevor Lawrence staying at Clemson skyrocketed after what we saw between the Jets and the Raiders this past Sunday. I think there's a real fear now that he will stay at Clemson to duck the Jets, assuming they do get the number one overall pick. But as far as this game goes, the Seahawks are going to win. And like you said, they their style is to kind of not it, – it's almost similar to what we said about Kansas City, right? I mean, they're just concerned more about Ws. They're not concerned about blowouts. So, I mean, they could be winning huge here at halftime and just take the foot off the gas. And maybe Darnold, who did throw two touchdowns to Jameson Crowder last week, maybe Darnold can backdoor cover. 
So I'm not sure I'm comfortable taking that Seahawks 13 and a half. And I mean, there's not really much money to be made on the, the money line, but I, you know, I don't think there's any shame in making a little money on the money line when you're positive they're going to win. Seahawks are going to win here. So, I mean, you might as well make some money, right? Seahawks have 78% of the bets and 87% of the money, which is interesting, right? It means like the big bettors are actually betting Seahawks here. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, interesting. I lost our spot. Okay. Green Bay at Detroit. Uh, man, honestly, this feels like that the last game we talked about. Uh, is there any chance that Detroit wins this game? Yeah, I think there's a chance. Um, I think it would be a better chance if DeAndre Swift and Kenny Galladay are out there. Uh, you're going to have to check back on those ones. Swift recovered from his concussion, but now he's dealing with a non-COVID illness, which is always a weird thing to read into. Um, you have to wonder what's going on there. Quietly, though, from a fantasy perspective, Adrian Pearson with four touchdowns in the last two weeks, two per game, while Swift has been out. Uh, but yeah, Packers are going to win this game. I, I don't think Detroit has any chance to beat them. The line must be astronomical, if I had to guess. Minus nine is what I've got here. Okay, I, I'm seeing minus seven and a half on sports interaction. Oh, interesting. Uh, I see I see some real value there. Um, I, I think the Packers yeah. can... I think the Packers probably win by as much as 10. Two possessions, I would think, at the least. Yeah, I, you know, the site I'm looking at here shows 87% of the tickets, 90% of the money on the Packers. So the fact that that line's hanging out there with those kind of numbers makes you wonder um, if there's maybe some value on the Lions to keep it within 10 or, or, you know, if that number goes back up, I wouldn't be surprised to see that go up to like 10 or 11, even by game day. We'll, we'll see what happens, especially when more injury news comes out. Yeah. I want to say quickly about the Packers. Um, I'm loving that they're finally getting uh, Equinemius St. Brown back involved in the offense uh, between injury issues and doghouse issues. Uh, it's nice to see him get back on Aaron Rodgers' good side and the reason I wanted to mention him is his little brother for USC this weekend had four touchdowns in the first quarter. Um, really amazing stuff. Did he say? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the more I've been reading, they've got a, a third brother, I think, at Stanford, and their father is a two-time Mr. Uh, Universe. So some pretty good genes there at the St. Brown family. And I just thought it was cool that the week – that he gets back going with the Packers offense was the week that I first heard of his brother and rightfully so by having four touchdowns in one quarter of phenomenal stuff. But yeah, Packers win here and they cover Falcons minus two and a half at the chargers. The chargers have quit, right? The, the team figured out that Anthony Lynn sucks and they've all, you know, Atlanta also has the benefit now of seeing, uh, how the Patriots wanted to handle that team, which I think is always a benefit to any team. Uh, I, I, you just can't, you can't bet the Chargers to win anything right now, right? No, I made that mistake last week, and I will not be making it again this week. Even though I, I feel like the Falcons are probably due for a letdown now that people are finally starting to wonder if they're good again. Um, but I, I certainly think they're good enough to win this game. And just one quick note about Anthony Lynn. 
It strikes me that Anthony Lynn probably still has a job for the same reason Adam Gay still has a job, and that's cheapskate ownership. Yeah, I I mean, the only thing I would say about Anthony Lynn is based on everything I've seen, read, or heard, Anthony Lynn is a really good guy, and he well should read. should not be an NFL head coach. No, I mean, he's overmatched, right? And I think he's done a disservice for running backs coaches because I don't think a team's going to take the leap and hire a running backs coach to be a head coach. Uh, Usually, traditionally, they're offensive coordinators first. And I know Anthony Lynn served as interim offensive coordinator for a couple weeks that season. But, uh, yeah, I think you're going to find that um, that bridge won't be crossed again anytime soon unless maybe it's like a Deuce Daly type. So this next game I find interesting. I was surprised to see your pick here. Washington at San Francisco. I picked San Francisco, but I, I give a lot of credit to Washington. This was a real 50-50 in my mind. Um, it's one of those neutral field games. Uh, San Francisco's, I've got them by three on the site I'm looking at. It could really be three and a half, though, because it's minus 125. Um, it, this is maybe a little bit of overthinking by some of these folks, I, and and I don't fully get it. San Francisco, I don't want to say they no-showed against the Bills, but they sure as hell didn't look good. Um, have I missed some news? Like, is Kittle, are, are Kittle and Garoppolo coming back, maybe? I thought that was going to be, like, the last two games. I just think, you know, Nick Mullins, as Jekyll and Hyde as he is, he seems to be playing his best football now. Um and it wasn't the 49ers offense that blew that game. It was just, you know, Josh Allen. Couldn't stop MVP Josh ball. Allen. Yeah, 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 the defense couldn't stop Josh Allen. There's no shame in that. He put it out in MVP performance, vaulted himself into the MVP discussion with it, I think. I saw Danny Kelly post something on Twitter today that was basically like, there were at least four throws that Josh Allen made that no one should be able to make. Yeah. Um, and Lazy I saw moves. like just wild, wild throws. Yeah. Yeah. Frozen ropes, as some would say. Right. Um. And the other thing that I think should be mentioned is his inaccuracy and in some of his wild throws get talked about, but he is still yet to throw a pick in the red zone. So, you know, that's where the money's made. I, I, I was shocked to hear that. I was quite impressed, actually. But no, I think uh, people are reacting to really the 49ers. The running game looked great between Wilson and Mostert, I thought. And they just happened to run to a, a really good Bills team. Now, I think Washington's a, a, obviously a popular pick for people this week with what they just did against Pittsburgh. And I think we all know that that D-line can change games. I, I just, I'm taking the 49ers. I, I'm not sure they covered the minus three, but I just get a feeling that they're going to win this game. I, I have a habit on this show that I should really like get out of, of – sometimes when I'm talking about a team and I think they have an unbelievable defensive line, I'll say front seven, but really I'm saying front four. And I think Washington fits into that. Like I couldn't tell you anything about a Washington linebacker, but that fucking defensive line, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shit talking their linebackers. Don't get me wrong, but like Bostick with a nice pick there to end the game off a sweat deflection. But I, I think the reason people say front seven a lot with Washington is because you've got a guy like Ryan Kerrigan coming off the bench in a, in a pass rush situation. And he's not so much with his hand in the dirt. It's more of a three, four outside yeah. linebacker. Look, 
Um, I, I, if Washington wins this game, I'm not going to be even a little bit surprised. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm really starting to believe in Alex Smith. Like, how many games has he had 300 yards now, right? Like, this guy's throw, he's slinging it out there. And aside from Scary Terry, he ain't got no one to sling it to. So, uh, I, you know, I'm still going to take the Niners. I think they're the, I think they're the right side here. And, but like, it might actually just be too trendy because my immediate thought was Niners off a loss, Washington off a big win, you know, let down spot for Washington. Niners are bouncing back, but okay, here's the flip side. Washington's fighting for a first place spot in their division in a playoff berth. And San Francisco is six and six, which is basically dead, or pardon me, five and seven, which is basically dead right now. Like none of those five and seven teams in the NFC are making it. Uh, 49ers, Bears, Lions. Do any of those sound like playoff teams to you? No. So, you know, after that loss, I think the 49ers on, off a short week, I mean, obviously, <laughs> most teams off a short week. Um, but I think, you you know, you know you're done. You're not even playing at home anymore, right? You probably have a house in San Francisco, so you're living out of a hotel in Arizona now. Um. I, uh, t- to be honest with you, if it wouldn't reek of game theory, I would sw- m- switch my pick here. But I'm, I'm going to stay away from that because maybe my subconscious is trying to get me to play game theory um, because I'm four picks back of you for the year. But uh, don't be shocked if Washington wins this game. Because like, if all of those things were true and the line was Washington minus one, I'd be like, yeah, great spot for San Francisco here. The fact that the line's basically three and a half... It means everybody's thinking this. That can't be right. It's, something's off here. That that game's sketchy as hell, so uh, just keep that in mind. With that said, I, Kyle I, Shanahan's a way better coach than Ron Rivera, so we've got to keep that in mind too. Yep, and one thing I will say is that one thing that does move the needle for me in this game is uh, it doesn't look like Antonio Gibson is going to be playing. Yeah. And uh, he's been a difference maker uh, for Washington, especially of late at the running back position. Uh, just that one or two runs he had against a very good Pittsburgh Rundy before he went out with the turf toe. And it sounds like it's a very severe case of turf toe, which is not good. Um, really but yeah, that, that does move the needle a bit for me. And just a couple of last notes on the uh, Washington skill position players. Uh, Logan Thomas, for a former quarterback, is lighting it up at tight end, looking great. And Cam Sims emerging opposite Terry McLaurin, they might have something here in Cam Sims, an undrafted player out of Alabama, 6'5", 220, and he's got some speed. So I'm like what I'm seeing out of Cam Sims, going to need to see a little more of that going forward. Yeah, I like the 49ers here. And I, you know, I'll probably end up regretting that. I don't think it's going to surprise anybody if Washington wins this game. New Orleans at Philly. So uh, my understanding is Taysom Hill is still going to be starting here. Yeah, and um, can I just say quickly about that? I'm not buying. I know we're getting some reports, some mixed messages about, oh, Breeze might be back soon, might maybe next week. How many ribs did he break? I mean, the amount of pain that he must still be in anytime he moves, anytime he sneezes, anytime he laughs, anytime, again, he moves, let alone plays quarterback. I'm just not buying him back anytime soon. And fortunately, with them 3-0 under Hill and, you know, what, the number one seed basically in the NFC locked up, they can afford to play it slow with Drew. 
so I wouldn't say locked up unless I'm snoozing on them beating the Packers earlier this year. No, they lost to the Packers. So if they drop a game, the Packers are the one seed. But I think if you've got the Eagles this week and the Chiefs next week, you don't bring them back this week, right? You make, you're not going to like make a questionable call for this week and then risk them going out again and not having them next week. Like you, you're like, listen, we could probably get by with literally all of our backups against the Eagles. Yeah. I don't think we see them again until the playoffs. I, I, I the really think it's being underreported. The, the amount of pain this man must be in. If they are telling us the truth, I think, what was it, like six ribs you broke yeah, or something? Yeah, but they, I mean, they can do things for pain, you know? No, I know, absolutely. And then, you know, he'll obviously... And then you get a Tyrod there. situation. I shouldn't laugh yeah. about that, but you know what I'm saying. No, absolutely. And obviously when he is back out there, he'll be wearing the Michael Vick-style flak jacket. Uh, but even then, once Breeze does come back, all it's going to take is one or two bad hits and, and he'll be out again. Yeah. Um, I have picked the Saints here for obvious reasons. I have also made a uh, medium-sized wager on a parlay of uh, Indy minus three and Eagles to win, which pays at like plus six hundred, plus six hundred, plus six fifty. I don't, I don't think the Eagles winning is the most likely scenario here. However. Um, the team looked a lot better with Hertz in there. Yep, starting this game, lightning in a bottle. And what does it do to the energy of a team when uh, the starting quarterback has been wildly unsuccessful and frankly hurting your team for some time and you finally move on to someone else? Uh, there's not a lot of tape on the guy. He's got some athleticism that'll hide some of the holes in the offensive line. So do I think they should be favored? No. Do I think they are better than a 50% favorite to win this game? No. I think they're 40% to win this game. Probably not. Do they win the game three out of 10 times with a backup quarterback that we're starting to get tape on on the other side? I think it's plausible. That's a plausible scenario. So um, yeah, I think New Orleans wins, wins the game, but I, I don't think anybody should like talk about it as upset of the century if the Eagles come back and win. What do you think? Yeah, Saints are winning this game. Uh, I don't see the Eagles winning. I just wanted to touch on the Carson Wentz thing. Um, there's been some speculation that he'll be playing elsewhere next year. I just don't see how that could be the case. Too much money? Yeah, exactly. They, I mean, the contract he signed included, I think, 100 guaranteed. I think 60 to 65 to 70 of that still might be owed. But there's a reason the Vikings won't be moving on from Kirk Cousins this offseason, and that's because of dead money. And there would be All even, of Cousins is guaranteed, yeah. Yeah, and there would be even more dead money with the Eagles and Wentz. So um, Wentz will be back next year, just a case of if he'll be starting or not. I, I don't think the book's completely closed on Wentz. I just think in this situation with the state of this O-line and him – not being the most fleet of foot, I, I think Hertz gives them a lot better opportunity to win and yeah. play in competitive ball games. I think that was shown as soon as he came in against the Packers. It, that that game totally changed when he came in, and you can look at it and say, "Yeah, Packers still won by 14. Like that that was a seven point game. That was one of those where Aaron Jones was supposed to take a knee at the end, right? Like that was garbage time touchdown yeah. for it, the winning team. And it's one of those games where it makes you wonder if Hertz had started the game, right? I mean, what? 
What oh could my they have God. done? Yeah, bring them in halfway through the third quarter and all of a sudden it gets competitive like yeah. on the road in Green Bay, a hard place yeah. to win. Without yeah. a run game, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's one thing the Eagles need to get back to this week, and I'm not sure this particular game script's going to allow it, but they they got to get Miles Sanders back on. The limited success that they have had this year is when he's been going good. And surprise, surprise, you get your running game going, you win football games, and you have good times, and, and you're successful, right? Yeah. I mean, look at the Ravens last night. This is the prime example. You're If you're able to run the football like that across three running backs and a quarterback, you're just not going to lose football games. Yeah, I mean, both of the biggest rushing performances of the year came against the Cowboys, so maybe it says more about the Cowboys, but I, I agree with what you're saying. Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Buffalo favored by two and a half. And to that I say, fuck right off, bud. Um, this is this is a classic gambling spot. The look ahead was basically a pick. And then you go and see Pittsburgh lose a game people thought they shouldn't have. And Buffalo beats the snot out of uh, uh, San Francisco. Recency bias. And it is a lot of recency bias. Yes, sir. Um, listen, if this was another team going to Buffalo in December, I would say, oh, you got to worry about so-and-so going to Buffalo in December. It's Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh in December is the same fucking thing. So I don't, I don't think that part's interesting. Um, Plus they're getting Connor back. They're going to get Connor back. I think, I, I think it was overstated how much the difference in the run game had to do with Benny Snell versus Connor there. Like there were no holes anywhere. Um, that again, that Washington front four is unbelievable. Um, and I don't think we give them enough credit. Hopefully Pouncy back. I I'd love to have Pouncy back with all that said, like, listen, Buffalo, Buffalo has a lot of wins and Buffalo is a very good team, a very good team. Um, Buffalo does not have any wins against the defense at the level of the Steelers. Um, they beat the Rams in a game they shouldn't have, but I wouldn't put the Rams quite in that conversation yet. And I don't think the Dolphins have the kind of pass rush that we're talking about here. So, um, yeah, I love the Steelers here. I love them. Yeah, they lost the game. They were going to lose a game at some point. That like undefeated talk and chatter like starts to creep into the ecosystem at some point. They're not going to turn into a shit team. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a legendary NFL franchise, and the Buffalo Bills are legendary for a completely different reason, and I think it's going to show on Sunday night. What say you? I, I say no need to even take the, the charity points. I, I think – the better bets Pittsburgh on the money line. There's more money to be made there. And I think they win the game. I don't think you need to get involved with that plus two and a half at all. Yeah. I, I think it's vintage NFL math. I think the bills are due to come back down to earth a little bit. And I think the Steelers are, are looking to get right here. Um, but at the end of the day, the Steelers offense is going to have to play better. I mean, the amount of drops from the receivers has been startling of late. Uh, I don't think you can anticipate that being ongoing, though, right? One would hope not. That's for yeah. sure. 
Um, I know Mike Tomlin wasn't very happy with it this week when he said, you know, what was it, quote-unquote, I expect routine plays to be made. He, I, I think he said something to the effect of, uh, we're not supposed to talk about catching the football at this level or like something like that. It was yeah. like, yeah, you're supposed yeah, to I mean, catch the ball. That's not a thing we talk yeah. about. Job description number one for a receiver. Yeah. Catch. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the Steelers here. I, I don't, I don't think the bills are going to get the job done. I'll tell you though, Tremaine Edwards at linebacker looks like the closest thing to Predator I've ever seen on an NFL field. Uh, I have boys, been, I have been on this guy since he yeah. was a rookie, and I feel good about it. Boy, is he healthy and looking good? Um, yeah, I don't think we'll get. Is the second Edwards brother still on the Steelers at fullback? I, I know the safety brother's still there. They're, they Trem- only have they only have Watt at fullback. Okay, yeah. So it's last year. I feel like it was last year when these teams met. We got all three of the uh, Edwards brothers, but now it looks like we'll probably only be getting two of them. Yeah, Steelers win here. And again, I, I just take them on the money line. I'm not, I don't think those charity points are necessary. Yeah, I'm with you there. The uh, Just one last thing on this. Like, I think you've got to expect that that Steelers offense is going to start moving the ball a little more downfield. I, I think the book is out on the fact that they only want to throw it within the first five yards. Um, but unlike Tom Brady, I think Ben's got enough arm left that he can still throw the deep ball fairly accurately. And, and especially with those receivers, like, yeah, throw some 50-50 balls 40 yards down the field and see how it goes. Um, I, I think you're probably good in most of those situations. So. As much as I want to say Pittsburgh needs to, to double and pay special attention to Stefan Diggs, the uh, matter of fact, it's Cole Beasley. I think actually they need to pay a little more attention to. He was the one that that killed the 49ers. It's like the a other first night. down machine, that guy. Yeah, 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 exactly. All those underneath routes, all those West Welker routes where you get smoked at the end of it, like all white receivers tend to do. I think last year, uh, going into the season, when we were doing our previews. I, I looked at it. I was like, Oh, Buffalo got Beasley. That's a great pickup. Why did Dallas let him go? You know? And yeah. And on the flip side, I, I wasn't a fan of it whatsoever. Uh, much. Uh, it was around the time I remember the Titans overpaid Adam Humphreys to come over from Tampa. Yeah. I, I viewed Beasley and Humphreys as similar players for obvious reasons. Um, probably pretty lazy analysis by me. Um, Cole Beasley, clearly the better player, and he's been huge for Josh Allen as kind of a safety valve. And they do love the tight end there, Dawson Knox. It seems like as the weeks go by, he gets more and more action. So, I mean, the Bills, good things still on the horizon. But short term here, uh, they're in a tough spot. I, I just, I feel like if Pittsburgh could beat Washington, they're in a much more vulnerable spot here to lose, but I I don't, I don't see them losing two in a row. Yeah. Great point. I I think the worst thing for the bills was Washington winning that game. Uh, About 10 minutes left Baltimore at Cleveland. Uh, Some of you might have been surprised to not hear me say game of the week on the previous game. That's because as much as a Steelers fan as I am, I think this is it right here. Cleveland uh, eight and three. Nine and three. Um, hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hard, hard, just, I mean, hard, hard to believe uh, in, in general, right? Like this is a team that generally uh, doesn't have that kind of success. 
So, listen. Can I I say something about Nick Chubb real quick? Always. Uh, Currently fourth, or no, sorry, fifth in the league. Um, 31 yards beyond Ronald Jones for fourth place. Keep in mind he was injured for yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, yeah, what I was getting at is he's played four less games than all the guys ahead of him. I think maybe in Dalvin Cooks, it's, it's three less games. But still, um, if Nick Chubb had played as, as many games as all the guys, the four guys ahead of him on the list, I feel pretty comfortable in saying he'd be number one right now. So if, hell of a season Nick Chubb's having. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yards per carry, uh, pretty sure he's leading the league. So that's that's a true indicator of success running backs have. So Baltimore visiting Cleveland, Cleveland nine and three, Baltimore seven and five. Uh, listen, Baltimore just had their way with the Cowboys, but they did that on a Tuesday night. Now, lucky for them, they get to kind of wait until Monday to have to do this again. Poor, honestly, poor Cowboys having to take a five day week or whatever uh, as a result. League doesn't care about that. Though. They have no fucks to give. Um, you know, on the flip side, that we'll be talking about this next week. Buffalo is going to go from playing a Sunday night game to a Saturday afternoon game. So next week, yeah, we get Saturday football next week. Um, Which I, I believe will make it that uh, there's been a game every day of the week, and I, I think that's the first time in right ever. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I Has think- there been a Friday game though? Uh, I think there's – I heard that in multiple places that at the end of this year, we will have had a game every day of the week. So there must be a Friday game. It might be that they have something scheduled. Uh, like, well, Christmas is on a Friday, isn't it? Or maybe – yeah, Christmas is a Friday. Are they are they planning Christmas football? Let's see here. I'm just going to throw this out here. 20th, 26th is the Saturday. Yeah, who knows? Um, anyways, with all that said, I, I think Baker Mayfield looked better than he actually is against the Titans. I I just don't see him lose. I don't think the Ravens have enough there. I mean, man, some of those throws from Lamar Jackson looked rough yesterday. I get that he threw for a bunch of touchdowns, but like some of them looked like, like season one, Lamar Jackson, um, and I think the Browns are going to play the kind of game where they just keep it close. Uh, it's basically a pick 'em right now. This is the kind of game I would love to just tease on both sides because I don't see a world where this isn't like a three-point game one way or the other. Um, I'm not going to be shocked with either result, but give me the Brownies. What do you got? I very well might end up regretting it, but I'm taking the Ravens. Um, I'm still not, like you said, buying Baker Mayfield having sustained success. I, I think on that Donovan Peoples-Jones touchdown that's been showed a thousand times in the past couple of days, uh, it was a hell of a double move. It was one of the most beautiful routes I've seen run this year. And I'm giving all the credit to Peoples-Jones there. I, I don't think Mayfield gets really near the credit uh, he's been getting for that particular play. Anytime you have the run game, the Browns have, you're you're in a good spot. That just leaves you to play solid defense and not every cornerback turn over the ball, and, and a lot of good things are going to happen. I just envision the Ravens' corners coming to play and and making Baker's day very, very hard. I think it's going to be a comeback down to earth spot for Baker. 
And the caveat about having such a good running game is if you're down early and the game script flips, what you know, and you have to abandon the run game and suddenly you're playing catch-up ball, throwing the ball, what good is it? If you don't – it's like any time they show Patrick Mahomes stuck on the sidelines. I mean, it's great to have the best quarterback in the league, but if he's on the sidelines, he's not going to beat you. And if you put the Browns in a spot where they have to go away from the run game, then I think – they're they're in a real tough spot to win football games that way. I think the Rams are going to win this game minus one. I'm seeing that it is. Yeah, I mean, why bother picking them on the money line when you can just take the minus one and make some more money? Because I think we all know if the Ravens win, it's going to be by more than my, one point. I, I just, the amount yeah, of games, ele- eleven cents for that one point is actually pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the amount of games that actually end up finishing in a one-point margin of victory, I, I feel like there's not too many of those, and I, I don't envision it being here. I think the Ravens win by three, maybe as much as seven, but I certainly think they win. All right, we've got uh, about five minutes left. Any uh, UFC thoughts or anything else? Uh, Lance Lynn dealt from the Texas Rangers to the White Sox the other night. I think that's a great move uh, for a White Sox team, clearly on the rise. White Sox signed to Eaton too, so like I think they're really looking to play here. Yeah, his. Uh, it's funny how that all worked out. Um, I saw that his uh, his he was non tendered by Washington, which to me, I I it made me go over my head, you know, flags do fly forever. So even though the White Sox got Giolito and he's on the way to winning probably multiple Cy Youngs, was the trade still worth it for Washington? And I guess because flags fly forever, you have to say it was worth it. Interesting that he's back in uh, Chicago now with Giolito. So in some ways, both parties really benefited from that particular swap. Yeah, I mean... Probably a very overused take, but I think the White Sox are really going to do some special things in the next couple of years as long as uh, Tony La Russa doesn't get in their yeah, way. I just don't get why anyone's signing with that team right now, right? Like, well, I mean, Stroman, play for that fucking guy? Yeah, I mean, Stroman flat out said there was no amount of money he would ever accept to play for uh, La Russa. And, of course, that goes back to La Russa criticizing Colin Kaepernick when he was taking knees. Yeah. Um, another thing that happened... Uh, Beth Moens became the first uh, woman to call a regular season game in the NFL. And I thought she sounded great calling that Jaguars Vikings game. I was very impressed. I didn't think she sounded out of place whatsoever. Um, Just a a USC note. uh, Marvin Vittori ended up beating Jack Hermanson uh, last week in the main event. Good things on the way for Marvin Vittori. He ended up calling out Paulo Costa directly after the match Dana then came out and said I love it and usually that always translates in okay that fight's going to be made that fight's going to happen but then since that Marvin Vittori's come out and said all he wants is the Israel Adesanya rematch and and some people might not remember um, when Vittori and Adesanya did fight one judge actually had that fight for Vittori so he's given Adesanya the closest run for his money really um, but yeah, very interesting to me. I don't know if I've ever, ever seen a fighter get the win, call out a guy, basically get the fight he just wanted, but then like 24 hours later say, no, 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 actually, I've changed my mind. 
I don't get at, let me put this another way. I feel like the UFC is starting to treat Adesanya the way they've treated John Jones, where it's a bit of a like golden goose sort of situation. Yeah. I mean, he's the way I look at it. Adesanya is the face of the company right now. Yeah. And they, you know, I, I think they wanted, you know, another guy who has less issues to, to do that kind of thing. And, and the, you know, the flip side of that is that we've seen the kind of judging that comes along when you make those things clear. We've seen the kind of judging that John Jones gets. Are you going to start seeing those kind of things with Adesanya moving forward too? That's a fair question. Very fair. UFC 256 this weekend, uh, Davison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno for Figueredo's belt. Should be a good fight. For like I don't, after I, three weeks or something. Yeah, I mean, it's the quickest yeah. turnaround I've ever seen. Uh, Figueroa hadn't even left the building that night, and he had already uh, agreed to put uh, his belt back on the line. I don't see Figueroa. I see Figueroa having a pretty long reign as champion. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy of his weight have as heavy hands as he does. Uh, complete fighter, good in every aspect. I'm just not sure anybody's going to beat him unless he moves up. And co-main event, Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira. We touched on it a little last week. Can't wait for that fight. Uh, Chael Sonnen had a really good point this week. Uh, Tony Ferguson is very conditioned to fighting in five-round main event fights. This is a three-round fight. Tony Ferguson is a known slow starter. His best rounds are usually rounds four and five, both of which will not exist in this fight. So uh, I hope, whether it's Eddie Bravo, uh, I'm not sure who's in Tony Ferguson's ear right now, but they got to remind him that he's got to come out with uh, the pedal of the metal in this one. He cannot afford a slow start against uh, quietly one of the best fighters in the organization in Charles Oliver. Uh, not a big promoter of uh, parlays generally, but I will say... If you want to do a Figadero and what's this other guy's name? Cyril Gane? Yeah, the Frenchman. Uh, huge prospect. Um, yeah, against On, the vet Don, uh, Dos Santos, who you talked about last week. You think he's done? Lost his last two fights. This guy's done. Like, I on Bet365, you can get you know parlay those two for minus 162, and you're like, uh, like I have to bet 16 to win 10. It's like, yeah, and that's a huge return. How long would it take you to put your money in the stock market to, to get a return like this? Um, and I think those two are more or less locks right now. Um, so I, I, I plan to put a pretty penny on that, on that wager. There is absolutely zero shame in making $10 and being crazily entertained. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, people, exactly. people yeah. pay, people pay very, very premium money for entertainment. And in this case, you're gaining $10 and you're not paying a cent for the entertainment. So there's no people who say, Oh, well, I'd only make five bucks off that better. I'd only make 10 here or 20. There's zero shame yeah. in, in making that kind of money, man. Well, and get your sack out, right? Okay. Well then bet three twenty to win 200. Like it's, you know, there's opportunity there. Uh, and I, I think people should swing at it. All right. We are fresh out of time. My name is Charles. He is Nick Smart. Enjoy uh, week 14 in the National Football League. And we will talk with you again next week.